Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Let's head down to uh, Granberry and Priscilla. This is Jim. How can I help you? Yes. Last week you were speaking with someone about the exterior air conditioning units should be protected from the sun. I think you said well, that. You, you it, need it, to have it, some kind of protection from the, the heat, I suppose. Um, well, you don't have to. It's just one of those things that can help with your utility bills a little bit because well, uh, if I it's shaded, that. it's cooler. Yeah, that, that, don't we all right now? Uh, so what what type of thing? We have two units. We have no shade. We're in new construction. And um, so what would we do? You know, you you got to make sure that you keep the top open for the air to, because the air blows up out of the unit and it's got to yeah. be able to go up and dissipate. But yeah. what you can do is put a fence that's out a couple feet from the unit so it still mm-hmm. has good airflow around the unit, but as the sun moves, the unit becomes shaded. And uh, you know, typically, just a, a regular six-foot wooden fence is all it needs. Okay. And keep it, like I said, two to three feet away from the unit. But but don't it doesn't not that I would put a covering right on top of the units, but would it help to? up higher put uh, some kind of a covering if we did a like a six foot fence around it to bring that fence over maybe with lattice on top or something so the air would come out you know if you put it up high enough get it like uh eight foot above the unit oh dear okay yeah it's it's got to go so high that that it usually isn't something people want to do and you need that you need that open air for that unit to dissipate the heat okay all right thank you you're welcome take care you know along with that the other thing that we need to do on a regular basis is make sure we keep the weeds away from the the ac unit uh the grass and everything and rinse the unit off once in a while you know as as the dust and dirt gets onto the little coils the unit will lose efficiency so just go out and hose it off. You don't want to take a high-pressure nozzle and, and start blowing it because you can bend the fins and th- that that screws up the energy efficiency again. But uh, if you just rinse it off to get the dust and stuff off, uh, it definitely does help with those units a little bit. Janet in Dallas, how can I help you today? Hi, Jim. I have a question about toilets. I live in a home that was built in 1964 and there are four bathrooms, all original toilets. And the plumber said, at least one of them, I need to buy a new toilet. And he said, um, the it's loose, which means the flange underneath, there's maybe a problem. But my question is, uh, this toilet is a colored toilet from the 60s. Right. And is there any way to replace it with another colored toilet, or do I have to get white? No, you can still get yeah. some color choices. Uh, you're not going to get them from the box store, so you got to go into a regular plumbing supply store. Uh, Ferguson, uh-huh. um, um, 
Morrison's or more plumbing supply. Uh, several of them have display rooms that you can go into, and they can get you some of the colored toilets. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be the same colors as they were back then, but uh, in some cases, yes, they still are available. Okay, and he suggested getting the taller toilet. I think it's around 17 inches. Does the height really matter? It does for me. When I'm going to plop my butt down on that toilet, it, it may, it's a lot nicer when it's higher for getting back up again. Okay. I guess, okay. And then I guess all of them are, he said all of our toilets have a weak flush. And so I know some toilets, when I'm in other homes, you just push the handle and boom, it flushes. Is that a special kind of it, it is that they some of them have what's called a pressure flush on them, and uh -huh. that shoots it out much faster and, and uh, you know gets things out of there quicker. And uh, yes, that is definitely an option. Uh, the and, and when you go into a plumbing supply store, they'll be able to go over all the details on them. But uh, the big difference is. You, you said your house was built when? 64. Okay. 1964, the, pier and beam. Okay. So your biggest difference, though, is going to be uh, the toilets in 64 used more water than the new toilets do. Uh, your newer toilet's going to use about half the water that your old one did. And so okay. it, that's the reason... Uh, they don't necessarily clean out as good as, as the old ones. Now, most of those problems have been done away with. It's not near as bad as when they first came out with what they call low-flow toilets. But uh, if you want that pressure-type thing, yes, it's definitely available. The big difference is when it's one of those pressure tanks, uh, when you take the lid off the bowl in the back, uh, you're going to yeah. see that there's a a a tank inside that tank. Uh, usually it's a oh. black poly tank that pressures up to, to give it that pressure. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I will tell you one other thing. In general, if you stick with some of the, you know, the name brands like uh, Cole or American Standard and, and, and uh, brands like uh, Toto is considered top of the line on toilets, uh, you don't have to worry about getting the pressure tank. Okay. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Again, 1-800-288-9227. And I don't know if you guys remember, but when uh, they first started coming out with the low-flow toilets and everybody was having problems with those things working, American Standard came out with, with the one that... Uh, started with that pressure tank stuff, and they would dump golf balls into the toilet and show you how it would flush the golf balls out of the toilet. That, that was their uh, sales campaign. Uh, got the job done, though, didn't it? Another AC question here. This comes from Wes in Richardson, and he says, Jim, my AC, it's a Rudd 5-ton, 12-year-old, was recently serviced and needed 4 pounds of R22, costing $1,000. When asked 
if it was time to replace the unit, my tech recommended I wait, if possible, until the new refrigerants are approved for use, probably next year. Then seriously consider a new American Standard unit. Otherwise, I might be investing in a unit that uses what would then have become a discontinued expensive refrigerant. What are the new refrigerants he's referring, referencing? When will they be in the marketplace? Are they worth waiting for? Additionally, he recommended and I agreed to inject a sealer, a leak lock super sealer, into the system to minimize or stop the slow leak in my system. Do you recommend these sealers and do they work? Thanks for your help. I enjoy the show and all you do for the novices such as myself. Well, there is some new coolants coming out. Uh, Carrier has been the leading push on the new on the new coolants, but uh, pretty much everybody's going to be following with this new coolant. Would that stop me from putting in the 410A? Absolutely not. You know, you're still on an R22 system, and I'm, I'm a uh, that's the most expensive coolant that you're going to get right now, and it's still available. Uh, the the 410A will be available for years to come because they're still making units even today, and they still looks like we'll be making them at the first of the year. So I would not worry about getting one with the 410A, and I will tell you, you're probably going to pay less for the unit now than if you wait till after the first year when there's another round of price increases coming anyways. So, no. If it was me, I wouldn't be delaying. As far as putting in the uh, slow leak stuff, I'm not a huge fan. But if it works for you and buys you the time you need, that'll be just fine. You know, when we went to that news break there, I was talking a, a little bit about the uh, new coolant that's coming out. And, again, I would not let that slow me down on buying an NAC unit right now if you're in the market. And here's why. The feds had come in and changed the SEER rating, which changes what they got to do with some of the equipment, which is, again, changing the cost of everything. And so we're, we are already looking at a price increase coming. And, you know, I said by the first of the year, but it, it's actually coming in, I believe, fourth quarter. And so if you've been thinking that, hey, you need to be looking at getting an air conditioning system, it'll be cheaper for you to get it now than later. Now, is the coolant going to be more expensive down the road? I don't know. Nobody knows yet. You know, the, the big difference with the R22 was they put a ban on R22. You could no longer manufacture it, and so that shot the prices up. There is no talk of a ban on 410A. And quite frankly, even with the increase in cost, it wasn't cost prohibitive to keep the system. And you, the only time you got to add coolant is if something happens with the system. Well, most, most of the time, we never have to add coolant in a system. The only time you have to add coolant is if, if something went wrong, you got a, a little hole that had to be fixed or something like that. And usually it's not more than a few pounds so I would definitely not let that sway me on putting in a system right now now I do know 
all the contractors are pretty busy putting in systems right now simply because of the temperatures and, and the havoc that it's raising with AC systems. Uh, so if you're looking for a deal, typically fall is the best time to get a deal, except the manufacturers have already announced there's going to be a price increase then. So I, I don't know what kind of deals are going to be available this year. And, and honestly... I own an air conditioning company in Houston. I am expanding up into the Dallas market, and I can't tell you what that's going to do yet to the prices, if that's any indication what's going on in the industry. So, uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're better off right now to do it sooner than later. Hey, hey there, Jim. I have a question, please. Do you earth cracks around the foundation of my Barnuminium they're getting big, and I'm wondering if I should be pouring anything into them. Uh, and this comes from Hank, and, and no, you you don't want to be filling those holes up. Uh, right now, the soil is drying. As it dries, it shrinks and cracks. And, you know, they're comparing this drought that we're going through right now with the 2011 and actually looking even further back to the 1980 drought. Well, I can tell you, in the 1980 drought, uh, the the soil got so dry, the gaps were four and five inches wide. You literally could drop your foot into the gaps. You had to be careful where you were walking. Uh, but when it starts raining and the soils get wet and expands again, it'll fill all that stuff up. And if you've dumped a bunch of dirt and sand and stuff down into these cracks, it, it starts pushing the soils in, op, in directions that you didn't want it to go. And so you're better off not to start trying to fill that with dirt and stuff. Mother Nature will take care of it on her own when it does start raining again. And, and uh, let's be real, it will rain someday. It just may not be today. Okay, Kimberly in North Richland Hills is asking about pool resurfacing. 21-year-old pool needing resurfacing. Who do you think is the best? Quartz or Pebble Tech? Well, I'm, I'm assuming she, she meant which product do I think is the best. And i got to be honest with you, um, they're both good. And they're both almost the same. They're just different brands. From, from different companies. Uh, the Pebble Tech has been around for a long time. The Quartz, though, um, you know, it, it's almost as long. Both of them are using Quartz-type rock in them. So, you know, go with who you're more comfortable with in this type situation. Uh, I noticed she didn't ask about going back with regular Gunite pool. I mean, most people aren't doing that nowadays. They Everybody goes back with the... Uh, either the quartz or the, the pebble tech, and uh, you'll find that it's a little easier on your feet um, and easier to maintain the pool. And, and honestly, it's not that it's easier to maintain the pool. The finish just doesn't show when it's got the algae on it as bad as, as what the the old Marsite finish did. So I, if, if I didn't uh, know anything about either one of them, I would probably take a look at the Pebble Tech first, um, and then go from there. I got an, uh, an email from Carla in Fort Worth. Hello, Jim. I 
I catch your radio show often and appreciate the way you sincerely help people. My question, how do I keep my foundation watered with my situation? Roughly half the perimeter of the home has concrete against it, driveway, porch, patio, and sidewalk. From the front of my house, the covered driveway connects to the front porch to the left of the driveway. Then to the right of my driveway, there's a wide sidewalk connected to the driveway that goes down the side of my house. That wide sidewalk joins a large patio that covers roughly the back half of my home. I do understand that I need to drip water around the remaining areas of the foundation 25 minutes twice per day in this heat. What can I do about the concrete areas up against my foundation or should I do anything? Thanks so much, Carla. Well, Carla, go around those areas just as though they were part of the foundation uh, because that that really uh, is what you're dealing with. The concrete acts as a natural moisture barrier and helps hold the moisture in the soil. So if, if you can uh, just go around it, like I said, like it's part of the foundation through natural capillary action, the moisture will travel up underneath the foundation over time and take care of the issue that you're having. Uh, and yes, it's going to take time. It's not going to be an overnight thing. But that's the reason the, the, the concrete on the foundation, you only water around the perimeter. If you put moisture underneath the concrete, it's going to heave it in areas that you don't want it to heave. So you... You put the water on the outside and let it work its way in rather than putting it in the middle of the concrete and it working its way out. And that's really what it comes down to. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. This came from Andrew in Rockwall, and he says, uh, Mr. Dutton, I recently watched a video through Texas Home Improvement where you showed a foundation irrigation system you could do it yourself. Could you tell me brand and where to purchase setup? Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. Well, uh, yes. Uh, in fact, it was on our newsletter yesterday that went out. And like I said, you can go to THIPro.com and sign up for our newsletter that goes out every other Friday. But uh, you know, the, the, in particular, what you're looking for is soaker hoses, a pressure regulator to drop the city pressure down from it'll come in at 50 to 80 psi you want to drop it down to 15 20 somewhere in that range uh, a filter and a timer now typically i would tell you go to the box stores you know lowe's home depot and they'll have it with this drought ain't nobody got nothing when it comes to irrigation stuff so you actually can go on Amazon and order this stuff if you want. Um, you can go to a Ewing irrigation supply or Longhorn irrigation supply and typically be able to get the stuff as well. But right now, none of the box stores that I've been able to look at have any soaker hoses uh, or the timers the vacuum breakers, the regulators, none of that stuff is available. So, like I said, either go to uh, Amazon and order it or go to Longhorn as far. 
or or Ewing. As far as uh, brands, it it really doesn't matter because it's all tough to get right now. So get what you can find. Going to head out to Porter. Hello, Kirk. Hello. Well, how can I help? How you, you doing today? I'm doing. Well. I have a house you? I just purchased, and it has a a little small pond in the front of the the front deck. Okay. And I wanted to see, but the pond is. Is it's not real big, but it's big enough where you just can't walk to the middle of it. And I wanted to put one of those uh, water fountain things in it. And I was wondering okay. how would you install the actual piece that goes down where it stays steady in the water? Uh, what they what they do is the fountain itself floats, and it has a tube that goes down. How deep a pond is it? About. It's about five feet now. I'm going to extend it to about eight or nine feet. Okay. So your tube, you want to keep it several feet off the bottom because uh, you don't want it sucking up any you know, mud or anything like that. So on a eight-foot pond, I, you would probably put a tube in it that's three, maybe four feet is all. And the, the uh, float out there then gets anchored you know, just like a boat anchor in order to hold it in place. Oh, I see. Okay. Very good. That solved my problem. Thank you. You bet. Now, the hard part is running the electric out there because you typically put that, you know, into a conduit and you you run it at the bottom of the pond and then you turn it and come up to tie the electric in to the pump. And so your your anchor is just a secondary item to hold it in place when we get a lot of wind and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's the way they they put them in. And the reason you don't want to put that suction tube too low is, uh, you know, with a drought like this, as the pond level goes down, you don't want that thing settling down into the mud. But you want it deep enough so that it's pulling water from underneath and it circulates that water and keeps it well aerated, keeps the water looking cleaner and, and helps with the fish and and stuff like that. And even if you don't have fish, it helps to keep the water cleaner because the water in the bottom can get stagnant without that. Is it uh, Basem? Bascom. Yes, sir. My wife and I purchased a piece of property up in Canyon Lake, and we're looking to build a house in the next couple of years. What kind of slab would you recommend? This, the It's three acres, and it slopes about... 70 to 80 feet from the front of the lot to the back of the lot. I know well, I have I, a post-tension slab here in, in Katy. I'm, I'm pretty sure that type of slab would not work up in that area. Is there... No, I, I, I don't think you should put any slab. I think you bought a, a worthless piece of property. You ought to sell it to me for about $15, <laughs> and and uh, we'll, we'll both be happy then. <laughs> If if I was going to build a slab, that's a nice area up there. And, you know, the nice thing about it is you're building on on rock. Uh, so okay. if I was going to build there, uh, I would make sure to scrape down all the organics off the top and get, get my beams and everything down to the rock, if not into the rock a little bit. Okay. And... I would not, like you just suggested, I would not build a post-tension slab. I would use conventional rebar because it's stiffer. Okay. 
Uh, and it's not that you're going to have a lot of movement there, but you are going to be building on a on an angle and everything. And uh, I just personally prefer a rebar slab over uh, post-tension slabs. Uh, okay. Because some of them, I think they call for probably some kind of crawl space. Does that make a difference in what kind of slab you're well, and if it's able a crawl to pull space, or not? Well, if it's a crawl space, your, chances are it's going to be a pier and beam. So you're not even going to be okay. pouring a slab itself. You're going to just pour a perimeter concrete beam and then have uh, columns in the middle of it holding the, the middle of the floors. Okay. And one other question. Sure. We're looking to do different kind of – I want to do an energy-efficient house and – We've had some friends do the spray foam. Yeah. And I've been, you know, watching some videos on YouTube and saw a product called Rockwool. Yes. Is there a big difference between spray foam and Rockwool? Yeah, you don't want the Rockwool. Uh, Rockwool will deteriorate with time and start turning to okay. dust. And usually it's about 30 years now. Most people are out of the house by then, but it's just not a, a great permanent type insulation. Uh, spray. If okay. I was building a brand new home and doing custom, I would use spray foam in the walls, and I would use fiberglass or or a product called by Milo insulation in the attic. And the reason for that, you can get the whatever R value you want in the attic because you can make it as thick as you want. But foam insulation right. gives you the highest R value, inch for inch. So use that in the walls where you got limited space. In the attic, go with, like I said, either fiberglass or the Milo insulation because you can build it up. The house stays breathable. You don't have to worry about the sick home syndrome, but you got an extremely energy-efficient house that way. Okay, with the, and we're planning on putting a metal roof on and just spray the back spray the back of the metal roof or the yeah the roofing part or uh, I would not I would not I, I if you put the fiberglass or milo insulation in the attic then you don't need to spray foam the roof deck uh, and you, okay. you you avoid a lot of air conditioning issues that way uh, so if you want to put something on that roof deck on that metal you know in order to uh, minimize heat just use a radiant barrier under the metal. Okay. And how about open or closed sill spray foam? It, it, either one. When it comes down uh, to both, it. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're both energy efficient. The big difference is the open cell will absorb water and hold it if it gets wet. The closed cell doesn't do that. But your walls typically aren't going to be where it gets wet. If you were putting it in the attic... I would say closed cell, but uh, I, w I wouldn't recommend putting it in the attic anyway. So. Okay. And I was looking to do, uh, I think it's called the zip system. Yeah. That they the sheeting on the outside yep. of the house. That, yeah, and that is that a that, good uh, recommendation or not? Yeah, the, it it is. Uh, I mean. Along with the foam insulation, you're going to have no air infiltration through the walls at all. 
And so okay. that seals everything from the winds and stuff. And up there in the Canyon Lake area, you can get some pretty good winds going sometimes. So that, that helps to just seal everything up. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, and thanks for answering my questions. Have a oh, good week. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, enjoy and, and uh, enjoy the building process. It, it can be trying yeah, at just, times. I just got to print some more money. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that one. <laughs> When you figure out how to print it without getting caught, let me know. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Gretchen in Carrollton, how can I help you? I would like to know, I have three fairly new toilets within the next last, I mean, um, maybe eight or ten years. Uh And they have stains underneath the water level. And I've used so many products, and none of them will get rid of that stain. And I'd just like uh, to know if you could... Tell me a product that would. There is a product called a pumice stone, and you'll find it. Uh, I know it's available at Lowe's. I'm not sure about Home Depot. And basically, it, it's a rubbing stone that you can use on that porcelain to clean it up. And Do that, I have to empty it? it? Do I just stick my hand down in the water and clean it up is what you're saying with that pumice stone? Yes, ma'am. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, as long as I don't have to drain the water out, I'm happy. Okay. And could I ask one more quick question? Absolutely. Uh, Okay. I had um, my sidewalk uh, covered and that that overlayment. Uh And then it was, um, they made a design out of it and then stained it and sealed it. Okay. And some dirty water uh, ran off on it, and I scrubbed it with a mop, but that didn't get all of it off, and I wondered if there's some other idea you might have to finish it up. Uh, did it get down into the crevices? Is that what didn't come off? Yes. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll just end up using a scrub brush on that then. Okay. All right. I appreciate your help. Thank you. You bet. All right, let's head out to Missouri City. Scott, how can I help you today? All right, good afternoon, Jim. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. Very good. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so let's go on about, uh, so we're trying to kick off a construction project. Uh, we're basically going to be remodeling and reconfiguring the uh, existing portion of the existing structure of the house, and then we're adding on some pretty significant square footage. Um, so I'm at the point right now trying to get some things lined up, um, and where I'm at right now is on Windows. Um, so the architect has specked out uh, 17 new windows of various sizes. So I've just started diving into the window world, um, all the different options, the vinyl, the aluminum, the composite, the fiberglass. And I'll just say I'm a, a bit lost in it all. And uh, I was wondering if you had any guidance or, or direction. I'll say, you know, sure. one, one thing in particular that's important is the color. Um, as maybe as silly as that sounds, but we're looking for like that kind of uh, bronzish, uh, grayish kind of color inside and out. Um, I've talked to two suppliers at this point, and I'm just a little bit, little bit um, lost, and I'm not sure if like the perfect window exists. So, looking for a little guidance on windows, I guess. Okay, so for replacement windows, I recommend vinyl a lot of times, simply because it's really cost effective and uh, does a great job at, uh, on on uh, energy efficiency and insulating partial, yeah. you know, uh, properties and stuff. But when you start wanting certain colors, like you're talking about. 
yeah. then you start looking at the fiberglass windows. And okay. here's the biggest difference between the vinyl and fiberglass windows is, one, you can get some some texture and color options on the fiberglass that you don't necessarily get with the vinyl. And the fiberglass will be a little bit smaller in size than the vinyl. Now, I yeah. will tell you, I personally went with vinyl in my house. Uh, but if if you if you want more glass and, and less frame, then you would take a look at that fiberglass window. Uh, aluminum, okay. avoid it with completely. It transfers okay. heat the, too much. Heat transfer, it's not yeah. A, yeah. So I mean, your your choices need to be either the the vinyl, the fiberglass, or if you wanted to look at wooden windows, uh, you could look at those. But given the color choices, I, I think your your two choices are going to be the vinyl or the fiberglass. Okay, very good. And in terms of the longevity of the vinyl, um, you know, I've kind of heard different things: 10, 15 years, perhaps a lifespan. Is that um, would you consider that accurate as well? No, my mine are 13 years old, and I don't see a thing on them yet. Okay, okay, very good. All right, I appreciate You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.